Well, when we were in Ethiopia, we taught on some of the, the truths of the second coming. Uh, that was exciting to teach on there. They had lots of questions. But, you know, it really is so important as believers. You know, it was one of the main things Paul taught, even to new churches. He taught on the second coming. But here's really what, when it comes down to the, the second coming or end times and knowing the truths and such, it's not just understanding that matters. Right? Because we could understand absolutely everything about it. We could, we could understand perfectly the visions and even the timing and, and everything involved and have perfect understanding you know, of the judgments and dreams and visions. But we could still miss out on the purpose of the second coming. Because what is it? It's the fact that Christ is coming for a bride or a church who is made ready. That's the message. That's the true message and purpose of his coming, you know. And so it's important to study the truths. In fact, that, you know, knowing the truths really helps us. It kind of motivates us to prepare. But even more, it's that we're ready. We're ready for his appearing for when he comes. Now, as Christ said, we don't know the day or the hour, right? So if anyone's out there. Some people, once in a while, you, you hear the people out there predicting the day or the hour and so forth. Right? We know from studying scripture that a few things have to take place first. The temple has to be built, the man of sin appears, and you know, other things. But really, all of us have a day of the coming of the Lord, right? And you could say throughout the whole of church history, there are those who are, will be a part of the bride because they prepared themselves for his coming, right? When he would come for them to take them to heaven. And then again, when the church shall rise to meet him in the air. But you see, that's what it comes down to. A bride who has made herself ready, who has prepared herself for when he comes. And that's the true message of the second coming that we would be ready. Now, there's three basic areas I wanted to look at with you this morning of uh, that I, I think fit this message of being ready as a bride, as a church, and as a people. Um, I think we've covered some of these areas in different places, but I don't think we've ever kind of looked at them as a whole uh, in this way. So I, I just wanted to consider some of these thoughts with you of some of these things that we have to do as a people of God, that we will be among that group as, who has made themselves ready. And so the first area that we can consider is how can we be ready as a people is that we need to be ready for beauty, right? Because he's coming for a beautiful bride. So we have to be ready in beauty. And in Revelation 19, 7, you know, this is the verse I've quoted so far, but let's read it from the ESV. It says, let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. All right, there's going to be an anticipation. Well, there is an anticipation already in heaven for the marriage supper of the Lamb, for that gathering. And what's a part of that? In fact, what precipitates that or what? What causes that to culminate so that it comes to pass? It's a bride 
who has made herself ready. You know, we're, of course, we're talking about a spiritual readiness of hearts and minds and lives that have been transformed. But, you know, that the picture that Christ gives us of a bride is something that transcends all cultures, all, all languages. They all understand this concept of marriage because God instituted marriage. It wasn't something man created and said, well, let's, let's have man and woman get married. Right? They all have variations of the ceremony, but everyone understands the concept because God put it there in every culture. And, but I think every, everyone can understand the idea of a beautiful bride that's about to be, uh, you know, about to be married. And right, we know that she and her family would spend a lot of time in preparation on the ceremony and uh, the clothing. But that's what God is going to do and what he wants to do in our hearts in the hearts of his people, prepare us so that we're a part of that and that we do allow God to do what it takes in us. You know, I think one illustration, I shared this in Ethiopia, and they had no trouble understanding this. I think you could share this in almost every culture, and, and they, would, they would agree. You know, I don't think anyone can imagine a bride who kind of wakes up and rolls out of bed and on our wedding day and says, well, I'm ready as I am. Yeah, my hair's a little messy. I have my pajamas on. I think, I, I think I'm fine. I'll just go as I am to the wedding feast. I think there would be some intense disappointment on her, from her family, you know, the guests, maybe the, the brides, the, you know, bridesmen, the, the grooms and so forth, uh, all of those are in attendance, but especially of you know, the groom would be a little disappointed, right? But how silly is that? And isn't that interesting how the Lord created that? Not one person would, would think that is acceptable. But yet the Lord used that as a picture of our relationship with him. A bride made ready. And so when we roll out of bed spiritually, right? Because the, the scriptures talk about how you know, God, our calling is to awake to a new life, to, to spiritual vision, to a heavenly perspective of living for eternity with Christ. And that's what we're to awake to. That involves being made ready. You know, Peter was addressing some of the ladies in the, in the church of his day. Um, and, you know, as today, there are some who focus a little too much on the outward. And so that was also in the New Testament. So there were some ladies who were maybe spending a little too much time or money on the outward beauty. And he said something important, but he said something that applies actually to all of us as believers, both men and women. Speaking of, of being a part of the bride of Christ and speaking of beauty, he said in 1 Peter 3 to 4, he said, but let it be the hidden man of the heart that in that which is incorruptible, not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. You know, don't look on the outward. Don't look on the things of this world that make us appear great on the outward instead of focus on the inward because that's where the true beauty is found in the eyes of God. Of course, he brings out these two things here of meekness and a a quiet or gentle spirit 
in the sight of God, it is quite valuable to him. But it's in the hidden areas. It's in the secret places of our heart. And if we allow God to come in and work, it's of great value to him. We talked about a garden recently. The thought of the, the you know, the garden represents beauty. And, you know, I think probably at some point in our lives, we've all walked through a garden that someone has taken a lot of time to, to care for him. We say, wow, this is beauty. Not just for the flowers, but because we know all the work that was involved, all the planning, all the weeding, all the dedication. Someone had to come up, get up early and they kept coming continually. And now it is perfectly beautiful and manicured. It's not just the flowers. It's the work involved, the effort. That's, that's what we recognize. And it's the same way with the Lord. He recognizes his beauty in us, but he recognizes our willingness just open our heart and say, Lord, just come and work. And then we, we do what it takes day after day. Lord, change me. Lord, I want to become like you. I want to take up my cross and follow you. The Lord loves that and he recognizes that, that beauty. And, and I think I mentioned that before. You know, No other part of creation can come into a garden and understand beauty like man does. A dog can't, a horse can't, you know, not even our cats. If our cats come into our garden, they're looking for geckos. <laughs> you know, they're, but we know beauty. Well, isn't that flower beautiful? It's not what a, any other part of creation does. God put a recognition of beauty in us so that we could understand what he's looking for in the hearts of his people. But of course, that beauty has a, has a spiritual representation, right, of a garden. We saw that in the Song of Songs, right, where uh, Christ with his bride, he compares her to a beautiful garden that she's been tended and so forth. And that represents the fruit of the Spirit in the New Testament. We can read those verses again in Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And you know, that's not a full list per se of all the beautiful aspects that God wants to put into us, but that's, that's, a, that's the place of starting. And it shows us the highest, which is love. You know, here are some nine plants that the Lord loves to behold in his people in the garden of our hearts. You know, he wants to walk through our garden and smell beautiful things. Sometimes I'm like, Lord, I hope you smell good things when you come into me and not bad things, right? <laughs> nothing rotten, nothing, uh, nothing unpleasant. But really these fruit, fruits, they all speak of the strength of his character worked within us, right? His love. What is, what is his love? It's the strength to put others first and say, nope, I'm not first. I'm going to put others first. You know, that takes strength because it doesn't come naturally to us. Joy is the strength to rejoice in what matters to God and his joy becomes our strength. Peace, the strength to stay calm. Sometimes that, that's a real strength that 
sometimes I lack and I'm like, oh God, I need strength to just calm down and wait upon you. Long suffering, the strength not to give up when we really want to give up. You know, they're all aspects of his beauty and his strength. And so this is the plan and the desire for the, the father to find a beautiful wife that can be joined to the son. You know, there's, there's some verses in Psalm 45 that I think kind of foreshadow. Psalm 45 and verse 13, it says, the king's daughter is all glorious, but not on the outward. She's all glorious within, on the inside. That's the bride, the true bride. Back in, in verse 11, it says, uh, it says, So shall the king greatly desire your beauty, for he is the Lord, and worship him. You know, the king greatly desires beauty in his sons and daughters, or in his bride, the culmination of that, but that beauty is found within. And You know, there's a wonderful work that God wants to develop within us, that's, that's how we prepare. That's how we're going to be ready for the last days, but even more, right? Who knows? We don't, our, our number of days on earth are only get guaranteed by the Lord. Who knows when our days end? You know, if we'll see the second coming, that's up to God's plan. But we got to be ready for his coming for us. And so we have to be ready for beauty by allowing his fruit to be developed. The second thing, you know, how can we be ready as a church and as a people of God? Well, you know, Jesus spoke about the revival that's going to touch the whole world as a witness. In the Greek, that means evidence or proof. God's going to bring true proof of his power to the nations. You know, there's going to be a great harvest. But yet, what is he, what is God really looking for? He's not just looking for a harvest. He can do a harvest anytime at any place on earth by just moving. Blowing a little bit from his breath of his lips can bring life and repentance and turning to turning from sin. But what does he need? He needs laborers in his harvest. You know, there's a Amos 9.13. I think we've, we've got it on the slide. I won't read the whole thing, but it, it's a prophetic uh, verse of Israel's restoration, but also of the church in revival, and it talks about the plowman overtaking the reaper. It means the harvest is so big that the reapers are take, they're spending months and months bringing in the harvest because it's so great, and there's so much work to bring in the harvest that the, the, the plowman comes and says, it's time to plow, but we're, we're so busy, we can't, there's not enough of us to bring in the harvest. That's a picture of what God wants to do in his church. He wants, to, he wants to bring in a harvest so great that the laborers will barely be able to do it. In fact, they're going to struggle. That'll be the, one of the greatest struggles in the last days. Laborers are going to be busy. But that's the cry of the, of the heart of God, right? He said that to his disciples, Matthew 9, 37. Truly the harvest is plenty, plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. 
You know, don't, I, now I'm not saying don't, you know, stop praying for revival. We're praying for a harvest. We need it. We need the rain to come. In fact, I think we need a revival to revive laborers and to build up laborers. And then we can have a, then we can have a, a big harvest at the end. But I'll tell you what, if a harvest came now, we'd be in trouble. I think the harvest would be in danger of dying on the vine and rotting in the fields because there's so few who can tell them the truth. And so we need laborers. And so what is required of us as his church is preparation to be laborers and to lead others so that we have something to give them. We have that message. And, you know, I, I think we can look at that as, you know, we have to have that fire burning within our hearts, a relationship of Christ so that flame can be passed. You know, you, you think about how, you know, the, the kingdom of God is very much like, you know, a candle bringing that flame and setting others alight. There's only one way that can happen, right? A candle can't set another candle alight. It's only a candle with a flame that can bring that light to others. And so we have to have that fire, that flame within us. And of course, that's one of the dangers of the last days that Jesus says explicitly. He said, because of iniquity, the, the agape love of many would grow cold. And there's a whole study in the Greek we can look at that, but it actually means a cool wind will blow upon the flame of love in our hearts and cause it to grow dim. The flame of love is going to grow dim in many hearts in the last days. But then he says, those who can endure to the end. That, that kind of put it in a new light when I was considering that. You know, the biggest battle in the last days is not going to be tribulation or enduring trouble or hardship or buying or selling. It's going to be enduring the cool wind that wants to cause our flame to go out. But those who endure to the end shall be saved. Those who guard their hearts, who guard that flame, who protect it and do whatever it takes that it can grow bright. Those are the ones who God will use as laborers and who can light the, the, the candles of many people. Also vision, right? We have to have something that we can give to people. We have to have a vision of eternity and what matters in the kingdom of God. You know, Proverbs 29, 18 says, when there's not vision, people cast off restraint. And that, that is a picture of the last days. People casting off the restraint of his truth and not holding on to his truth and what matters. You know, we have to stay focused on heaven and what matters to God to be a laborer in his vineyard. The third and final aspect, you know, that we want to be a church that's ready. We've got to be ready for beauty and glory in that same sense. We have to be ready to be laborers for him but we also need to be ready to be hidden in Christ. And there's a, there's a qualification in that. And Jesus said, made that clear, Luke 21, 36. He told his disciples, pray that you're found worthy to escape those things that shall come to pass. Pray that you're found worthy. And he's saying this to his disciples. Lord, help us. 
we want to be ready so that we can be hidden in you in the days to come, but also today, right? There's plenty of troubles today. There's a cool wind blowing today, blowing on the hearts of many people, but they're exposed because they've stepped out of the pathway of righteousness and they've exposed themselves into the the cool wind that's blowing. And because that, they're casting off restraint and they're not enduring. But those whose cry is, Lord, I want to be found worthy. Well, what are they doing? They're hiding themselves in Christ, in his word, in his truth. They're staying under. You know, that's the difference. There's two people, two types of people in the last days. There's those who come out from under the laws and the ways of Christ. And their love grows cold. There's those who stay under the laws and the ways of Christ, his vision, his plan for their lives, and they're hidden. And that that applies to all Christians, I think, throughout the church age, is that we want to be those who stay under the plan and the purpose of God, how he's leading us, how he's guiding us, that we're hidden in his presence, hidden in his will, hidden in, you know, through abiding in his tabernacle and being led by his voice and by his word. But then we become like, like David said in Psalm 91, right? We become like those who are hidden under the shadow of the Almighty. But we have to qualify for that. Right? There's, it's not just automatic, so to speak, it, but it's kind of like Noah, right? God said to of Noah, he was a righteous man in his generation before God. And because of that, he was called to come into the ark when many people did not heed that call. And we know Noah was a preacher of righteousness, so there, you know, he didn't stay silent. But Noah was found worthy to come into the ark, and he was preserved. He was hidden. And so the Lord is looking for those who are willing to be hidden in him. And sometimes that hidden place, that's a, it's a quiet place. It's not seen. There's not a lot of activity. But there's a qualification for what is to come. right? But because Noah was willing to be hidden in Christ, hidden in God, what happened? He inherited the earth, literally. And so those who are hidden in Christ are the ones who inherit all things. Of course, we know what Pastor Bailey shared in that kind of that legacy he left with us. When he, when he came to the United States, he said he, the Lord shared him that vision of great revival coming, but also great trouble. And, and he shared that, that verse from Zephaniah. And I, I think it's worth reading it again just to get that into our spirits. Zephaniah 2, verses 1 through 3. He says, Gather yourselves together. Yea, gather together, O nation not desired. Those are the hidden ones because they've had to to go through the the hiding process not as desired. Before the the decree, decree bring forth, before the day passes the chaff, before the fierce anger of the Lord come upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger comes, seek the Lord all you meek of the earth who have wrought his judgments. 
Seek righteousness, seek meekness. It may be you shall be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. Here's the key of the last day, to the last days, but really the key to be being prepared to meet the Lord, to be a bride made ready. Right? There's going to be great glory, but great trouble in the last days. And there's times when we have, we have good experiences, glorious experiences in God, but then we have trouble. And who is the Lord addressed? And I think it's interesting. He's addressing the meek of the earth. And he's addressing those who it says they've wrought his judgment. But then the admonition is seek righteousness and seek meekness. You know, that's the theme of Revelation. The theme of Revelation is the wicked are going to keep getting more wicked and the righteous are going to keep getting more righteous. And so how can we qualify to be hidden? Well, we've walked in meekness. Keep walking in meekness. Keep walking in righteousness. Keep going. Not letting that cool wind blow and let any reduction come or any convincing to step out of the pathway of meekness or righteousness. If we keep going, that's, there's a qualification. We will be hidden in Christ. Now, of course, righteousness is doing what is right in God's sight. Not in man's sight, in God's sight. There's great pressure in this day, and it's only going to increase to do what's right in the sight of the world. But we care little for that when we put his first, his kingdom and righteousness, knowing that he'll take care of everything else. Then meekness. Meekness is accepting the situations we experience as from the Lord. We recognize there's no accidents. God's in charge. And so I'm not going to fight back. I'm going to trust God that he's going to turn it for good, that he's going to lead us in a good way. He's not going to destroy us. Might feel destroyed. But that's, that's just the valley of the shadow that he leads us through. And we trust that he brings us out to the other side like Noah. And we inherit all things. And he preserves us. You know, that was David's experience. He went through much trouble in his life. Some was from the Lord. Some he created his own trouble. But yet even in that, he learned to hide himself in Christ and submit to the will of God. And God preserved him through every situation. And we'll close with those verses in Psalm 23, verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear evil. I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You've prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's a picture of the last day church, of a church that's prepared herself and made herself ready. She's a church of glory, but she's a church of righteousness and meekness because she's learned to hide herself in the will of Christ, in the presence of Christ. We might have to walk through the valley of the shadow Sometimes the shadow of death, right? Because 
we're coming close to it and we're, we're just having to trust the Lord. But yet we know in our spirit, maybe not in our soul, our soul might be saying one thing and we have to speak to it as David did, you know, hope thou in God. But yet in our spirit, we're going to trust, no, God is going to preserve me. He's going to bring me out because there's another side to this valley and I'm going to be hidden in him. And Maybe walking in this valley has caused me to be hidden from some other stuff that I would have been exposed to. But it's all to bring us to glory, to make us a bride prepared and made ready for glory. And so maybe Sarah could just come and, and close with a little chorus and I'll come back and just pray and ask the Lord that we could be those who are prepared and made ready for him. Amen. Amen. Raise up a people, O Lord. I think that's the cry on the Father's heart, too, is He wants a people prepared and made ready. Maybe we just close our eyes here and just in looking to the Lord and responding to Him. And, you know, maybe you want to present yourself as a commitment. Lord, I want to be a bride made ready. You know, and if you want to say, Lord, I desire your beauty to be worked in me, your love, your joy, peace, your gentleness and long suffering or so forth. And or also, Lord, I want to be used by you in whatever way, whatever way, you know, however I can be useful to the lamb. Use me. And finally, Lord, I want to be one of your hidden ones. I want to learn to be hidden in your presence in times of difficulty and trouble that I'll run to you and not to other things. And if you want to present yourself to the Lord, just lift your hand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, you see the response of your people. Lord, we recognize it's not a small thing that we're asking of you because we're asking you to come in and just transform us and change us and take some things out of us and put new things within us. Lord, as you would do as the, as the, the husbandman, as the gardener in our heart. Oh, just come and work. Do a beautiful work. Do a fresh work. Lord, help us to be diligent and, and able to do the work of responding to you, to saying yes and, and allowing this work of beauty to be taken place and to guard our hearts. Oh, Lord, put your beauty within us. Prepare us, Lord. Make us laborers, Lord, that can be useful to you to do your will, oh God. And that, Lord, oh, teach us to hide ourselves in you. Oh, that we would hide in your presence, that we'd hide in your will, that we'd even be willing to, to be hidden in the, in the little and in the straight, narrow pathway, Lord, because we know it comes, Lord, to a place of inheritance. Oh, that we can inherit you in your presence and your glory. Oh, do that work within us, we pray. We just thank you, Lord. We're so grateful for the honor of being chosen. Lord, that you're calling us to be a part of the bride of the Lamb. Oh, to make ourselves ready. Do that work within us, we ask. And we thank you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. You're dismissed.